Good morning, Chapel Street. Our first reading comes from Psalm 98, if you'd like to follow along. I'm reading in the New King James Version, and it's titled, A Song of Praise to the Lord for His Salvation and Judgment. O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation. His righteousness he has revealed in the sight of all the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. To the ends of the earth, they have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song, rejoice, sing praises. Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of the psalm, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. Let the sea roar in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, that the hills be joyful together before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth. With righteousness, he will judge the world and the peoples with equity. And our second reading is from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 52. Now then, when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all the peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory and glory to the people of Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also and the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, and she was of great age 
and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fasting and prayer day and night. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for the redemption of Jerusalem. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem and Joseph and his mother did not know it, but supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and then sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teacher's both listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know I must be about my father's business? And they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favour with both God and man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can share, um, where we can stand and worship you for your righteousness, your faithfulness um, to us, shown in the perfect sacrifice, Jesus. Lord, we pray as we come to your word today um, that you would please uh, speak through me, that you would... Um, magnify yourself um, that we would hear true things about you in jesus name amen oh good morning chapel street good morning chapel street online as well stand back okay um well first thing i wanted to say was anita i remember last time that you read for us you had a very long passage to read yeah <laughs> I just wanted to let you know that I was going easy on you. So, yeah, no problem. But, yeah, shorter passage, but uh, just as beautifully read. Thank you. Uh, well, we're continuing on in our series uh, in Luke this week. Um, we'll be going through Luke chapter 2. It's been read for us. Um, I, hope you're, I hope you have your Bible uh, handy and flip there. Um, 
we're primarily looking at um, Simeon and what Simeon has to say about the Christ. Um, unfortunately, I haven't had enough time to prepare for the others, um, but we'll be going through that. And um, as we go through, it will be good to consider the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Something that as we go through this narrative, it can be very easy to forget um, the significance of what we're reading. Um, so as we think about who is Jesus, also be thinking about who is God, because Jesus is a reflection of who God is. God is, um, or Jesus is the son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is also um, a reflection of who God the Father and the Spirit, as we've sung about. Is so we'll be considering that as well. Um, and this important this question is also important um, because the the trajectory of our um, our souls in eternity um, is based on on what we see in this question. So the answer to what we give uh, to the question who is Jesus. Um, determines our eternal destiny um, and is one that the Bible calls us to revisit again and again and again. Um, and he calls us to um, not only know, but to behold the glory of our God. Um, and so that can be a challenge because we live in a world um, that says that Christ really determines nothing. Um, that truth is subjective and that our experience is everything. Um, that our own understanding or logic or knowledge is um, more important than the Bible. As we uh, spend time today examining the question of who Jesus is, um, I hope uh, that we'll see that Jesus um, really is, is one thing, and that is um, what the Bible says. Um, Jesus is not open for interpretation. Um, God has given us his word, and that is the authority of, of who Jesus is. Um, and there may be lots of different aspects to him, as, as we'll see today, um, but there is still one Jesus um, who nothing can be taken away from and nothing can be added to. Um, and so uh, join with me in reading verse 22 is where we'll start this morning and when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses they brought him that is Jesus up to Jerusalem and presented him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons so the scene starts with Mary and Joseph uh, making the journey to Jerusalem, um, presenting Jesus at the temple um, after something which is called the purification. Um, now you may know that the purification um, is according to the law of the Moses, uh, the law of Moses, um, and has much to do with uh, the woman who has just given birth. Um, the actual law comes from Leviticus chapter two which states, um, speak to the people of Israel, saying, if a woman conceives and bears a child 
then she shall be unclean seven days. As at the time of her menstruation, she'll be out, she shall be unclean. And verse six, and when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring the priest to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting, a lamb, a year old for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a pair uh, or a turtle dove uh, for a sin offering. And she cannot, if she cannot afford the lamb, she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and one, one for a burnt offering and one for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. Uh, so we're, we're reading about sin offerings and, and burnt offerings, uh, which is an Old Testament idea. Um, but it, um, the period of, of, of being ceremonial, ceremonially unclean was to serve as a picture of the inherent sinfulness um, of humankind. It was a reminder to the parents that simply by nature of being human, by being a descendant of Adam, um, the birth of this child um, was uh, just bringing another sinner into the world. Um, and that our reproducing um, was unable to do anything other than, than bring someone who is morally corrupt and sinful into the world. Um, and so as, as that period of time um, would, would continue, um, the mother would, would, be, would be reminded of, of how sinful her child is. Um, and yet what we have in Jesus is actually the very first sin, sinless man since uh, before thousands of years millions of people um, and not once had there been someone who was guiltless until Jesus and yet even though he wasn't unclean in the providence of God Mary and Joseph uh, did not question whether they would adhere to the whole law um, to them adherence was non-negotiable and while um, we won't spend much time on that this morning. Um, the point of this is to show um, that this boy, Jesus, was blameless under the law. That's the first thing when we're asking, who is Jesus? Blameless. He's without fault. Um, and as we'll get to later, he's able to be a perfect sacrifice. Um, these verses, uh, early verses, also highlight a similarity between Jesus and uh, the prophet Samuel. Um, I've been reading through First and Second Samuel recently, um, and the prophet Samuel was born to a woman named Hannah, um, and she was unable to bear children until God intervened and opened her womb um, in a very similar way to the way that Mary's child, Jesus, came only as a result of the direct intervention of God. But the parallels get stronger. Um, firstly, we see in verse 22 um, that Jesus was presented before the Lord um, according to uh, the law of the Lord. Um, and this had been a requirement for a very long time since Exodus, Exodus 13. Um, as I was listening to John MacArthur and the way that he put it was, um, it was a way of devoting the next generation to the Lord. Um, so that as, as the firstborn is born, they're devoted to the Lord. And in First uh, Samuel 1, chapter 20, uh, verse 22, um, Samuel is also presented before the Lord. Um, and the life that follows for him 
um, is one of complete devotion. He goes where God sends him. He says what God tells him to say. And so it would be with this boy, Jesus, complete piety and complete service to the Lord. Secondly, we see uh, in verse 34 um, that Jesus' parents uh, are blessed by a righteous man named Simeon. And so, um, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. Um, and it is the same in 1 Samuel. So in 1 Samuel, Eli, the priest, uh, who Hannah uh, gives Samuel over to, uh, blesses his parents. Thirdly, in verse 36, Anna the prophetess uh, praises and given, gives thanks in a response to Jesus. Um, and likewise, Samuel's mother, Hannah, um, sings praises of thanksgiving in First Samuel chapter 2. Fourth was Jesus' ministry in the temple. Um, you may recall that Samuel spent a lot of his life in the temple. Um, I always remember the, um, the story of, of God calling to him as he was sleeping in the temple. Um, that's where he lived, under the guidance of Eli. Um, and so too in verse 49, when Mary and Joseph lose Jesus and question him as to why he's done what he's done, um, he says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know? that I must be in my father's house. In other words, Jesus knew that he was here to do the work of God. There was no other reason for Jesus to be on earth than to do the will of his father. And finally, a parallel in the way that Jesus would grow into a man. I just found this amazing. Verse 52 says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. We contrast that to 1 Samuel 2, chapter 26. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Um, incredible. Um, and the significance of all of this, I think, is to remind us that Jesus was devoted to the work of God. There was one thing that he was set on earth to do that was god's work that he was completely devoted uh, to god in the same way as samuel um, throughout his entire life uh, he was simply speaking the words of god giving instruction as god told him to and pronouncing judgment on god's behalf or we could put it like this um, as christians we ought to be defined by who jesus is i think we would all agree um, so too, Jesus was defined by his father. He would later say, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. There could never be any variance between what Jesus displayed to us and what God really is. Um, he is therefore the perfect revelation of God to us. And when Jesus comes to earth, he does not replace the God of the Old Testament, but reveals him further. So with all of this in mind, we can picture Mary and Joseph presenting Jesus to the Lord at the temple. Um, and while we were doing this, while they were doing this, uh, we see a man named Simeon appear. And so it brings us to verse 25. Um, and now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, 
waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Uh, now, it's important to remember that at the time that, that Simeon was living and that Jesus had just been born into, um, the majority of Israel had turned their backs on God. God was a completely indifferent um, thought in their mind. Um, we can forget that because as we read through the Gospel of Luke um, and the other Gospels, a lot of what we see is, is just faithful people who have been waiting, waiting for the, the consolation of Israel. Um, but predominantly, the world was not like that. The world was much like it is today, um, still in sin, still blind to the truth of the gospel. Um, it had been there since 400 years, um, the last uh, prophet that God sent. Um, and since then, the, the light of truth had, had slowly dwindled away. Um, in fact, it was so poor a condition um, that Simeon would, would actually have stuck out. Um, he was a righteous man, as, as we're told in the text. Um, and firstly, we see that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And evidently, he walked in very close relationship to God because uh, at some point, God had promised him that he would not see death um, until he saw the Lord's anointed one. Um, the promised Christ. Growing up, Simeon's parents would have told him, uh, hopefully, stories about how Saul and David um, grew to be kings um, and how, how David saw Saul as the anointed one, um, how good and, and bad kings alike throughout the history of Israel were known as the anointed one, pointing forward to this Messiah. Um, he would have known the messianic prophecies of Isaiah and the promises of a coming savior. And in the same way, now as Moses, he gets a glimpse of his people's hope, the hope of the whole world, um, before he departs. And taking the child in his arms, close to his heart, he blesses God. Which brings us to verse 29. Now, Lord, um, you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Uh, before we go any further, it's uh, worth stopping to think on the meaning that those words would have had for Simeon. Um, in a world ravaged by sin, um, in a world where, where no one cares much for God, uh, Simeon knows that, that God has, has come through on his promises and that he is a God who can be trusted. Um, it says in verse 25 that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Um, he was waiting and waiting quite eagerly, I would imagine. Um, but what made him choose to wait? I'm sure there could be a number of, of reasons that we could give, uh, but one of them, I think, is the conviction that God can be trusted. Um, that he can be taken at his word. 
in our busy digital age, you would be hard pressed to find anyone who is willing to wait for something that they know won't come. Um, we wait because we trust. And we trust because someone appears trustworthy or something appears trustworthy. And so we have to think back to a time before all of this, before Mary, um, before Joseph, Simeon and Anna, um, way back into the Old Testament. Uh, because there we realize um, that none of this is actually happening in a vacuum, that God has been demonstrating to us again and again that he keeps his word. Um, to think of a few examples, when Abraham um, is told that he would be the father of a nation, he doubts, but God opens Sarah's womb. And, and through him, now we know that Abraham is the father of a great nation. Many times God promised um, the Israelites that he would give their enemies into their hands if they trusted him. Um, and each time they stepped out in faith, lo and behold, their enemies were defeated. And we also remember that, that God's uh, own words spoke, spoke of his faithfulness. In Numbers 23, we read, God is not a man that he should lie or a son uh, of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? And when the Lord proclaimed his name to Moses in Exodus, the way he describes himself is the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Faithfulness is the at the very heart of, of the way that God sees himself, the way that God is. Um, and that God has sent his son born under the law, born to suffer humiliation, to be afflicted, um, to sit under the burning judgment of God on the cross at Calvary. Is proof that God keeps even the hardest promises. Simeon says, my eyes have seen your salvation according to your word in order that we might know that God does not make good promises only, but that he makes good on good promises, that he always follows through. And the question then comes to us, what are we standing on? Simeon was standing on the promises of God. Do we trust the promises of God in the same way that Simeon did? Do we see in the Bible, proof that God can be trusted, that he is trustworthy. And at the end of Revelation, Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. How about that promise? Are we trusting in that one? Lord willing, we would be like Simeon, waiting for our consolation, not of the first coming of Christ, but of the second, when he comes to wipe away every tear, to redeem us from this world of sin, when he comes in glory. And so now then we read verse 31, that you have prepared the salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Uh, we've heard that, that Christ was born in a faraway town um, out in the bush where, where very few men would ever see him. His mother was someone of humble estate, um, and his father was not a king, but a carpenter. And yet it's equally true that 
Jesus did stand in the presence of all peoples. As he, was, as, as he came to the temple, as he was carried to the temple, he would have been carried past thousands of people, not just from Israel, but people uh, making pilgrimages from, from all over the world. Um, when he was living or when he was in Jerusalem as a young man, he would walk past thousands more. And then in his ministry, he was renowned. Great crowds followed him, not just crowds, but great crowds all to show um, that as the sacrifice was being prepared, all the people were there to watch. Being prepared uh, in the presence of all peoples actually echoes something of our Old Testament reading that we read today. Um, flip with me to Psalm 98. Um, Psalm 98. I'll read verses 1 to 3. We sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Um, the we see in, in verse 1, the second part of verse 1, his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. This Jesus that we're reading is the right arm, the right hand, the holy arm of God. Taking on flesh, um, being given the assignment to be the perfect, sinless sacrifice. Um, and of course, it is Christ who has worked salvation for, uh, for him, um, the Lord. And so, yeah, we, I've, I've talked to Dave a few times, uh, and he's, he's mentioned that um, it really struck him when, when he was um, reading through the Bible. And it's, it's done the same for me when you, when you hear David speak about um, God's salvation. Thank you for working thy salvation, not, not my salvation. Our salvation is primarily the salvation of God. Um, so to speak, uh, it is the property of the Lord. Um, it is his to do as, as he wills. Um, and primarily it does not belong to me. It is pri primarily not even about me. It is about God. Um, and it has come to pass in order to reflect something about him that we might praise him that we might sing to the lord a new song and so what does god do verse two he goes public with his salvation he makes it known he makes it visible it takes on flesh the salvation of god being underway really since the foundation of the world um, finally takes on flesh in bethlehem and now in jerusalem there it is for all the nations to see as the angels are running to and fro, telling people to testify to the deity of Christ, God is there saying, look at my right hand. Look at my holy arm. He will achieve my salvation. And so God wants his salvation to be seen so that the world can know something about him. If you look in verse 2, um, we know that that is his righteousness, that he is righteous. 
the Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. When we hear the word righteous, we should, it would be right to think of, of that word in the legal sense, um, as someone being upright or blameless in the sight of a law or a standard. And where better do we see God's righteousness at work than at the cross, than when Christ was, was pierced for our transgressions? Because if God was to spare us from the fiery pit of hell, um, then he if he had not first um, satisfied the justice that was uh, demanded by our sin, um, then we would have cause, we would have right to say that he was unjust. Um, if a man, if, if I break the law, I incur judgment. The judgment must be paid. It was on the cross that the judgment was paid. It was, this, it was a sinful world that God was sent into, a world that had not yet been judged as it ought to have been judged. And in order for even a single soul, even one of us, to be saved out of this world, God had to demand justice. The single place where that judgment was paid for is the cross. As we were singing before, all praise to him whose love is seen. In Christ, the son, the servant king, who left behind his glorious throne to pay the ransom for his own. And once judgment was paid, he rose on the third day. And one day, praise the Lord, by faith we will raise, we'll be raised with him. Salvation. Um, the salvation of God rests solely on the death of, of the Son of God, of the Christ. Solely on the real exchange that has taken place. Now no creature could ever question God's righteousness because God has satisfied the judgment and justified his people. Leaving us therefore at verse 3, that he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. And also, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And that takes us back to Luke chapter 2, verse 32, uh, where it says that Christ would be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So we've seen that, that Jesus is the demonstration of God's righteousness, and now we see that Jesus is a light to the Gentiles. It was an amazing thing for God to demonstrate his righteousness, even if it was confined to the people of Israel. But if there is no salvation for the Gentiles, then we have no hope. We have nothing. Without Christ um, and left in our sin, mankind is destined to walk in eternal darkness with every happiness withdrawn, with every hope snuffed out, and with every conceivable blindness and ignorance. But it says that Christ is a light. And what do lights do? They reveal things. Turn the light on and you can see. In the Old Testament, we would not have been included in the salvation of God. But right from Genesis, the Bible makes clear that it was never God's plan to keep it that way. We see glimpses of that in the Old Testament. 
the prophet Isaiah especially makes it plain that, that God sent Jesus to be a global light, not a light just for the people of Israel. Isaiah 49 verse 6, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Judah and to bring them back to the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light of the nations, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. And Isaiah 60 verse 1, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of God, of the Lord, has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth. Sorry, I lost my place. Um, and the nations shall come to your light, and kings to you, the brightness, uh, and kings to the brightness of your rising. So we have uh, in this boy, the perfect man under the eyes of the law, the one who would be perfectly devoted to God, uh, the faithfulness of God embodied, the righteousness of God displayed, a light to those who are in darkness, the one to be received by every nation, and altogether in every way, the complete salvation of God. This is who Christ is. And I don't doubt that um, Simeon saying all of these things in the spirit would have felt the full weight and glory of all that, that he's saying. And we don't have to guess why Mary and Joseph marveled at the things that he said. Um, and to simply follow along with uh, Simeon, read with me verse 34. Um, because after they marveled, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And the sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Uh, it's interesting to me, at least, that, that Simeon didn't stop after verse uh, 32. I think many people, uh, if they understood the full glory of, of what Simeon had said, would have said, that's okay. Um, I'll sit and, and think about that for a while. But he continued on um, and said, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. That word appointed is like destined. He's been destined um, for this falling and rising. Um, destined, that is, by God. Um, and we've touched on the rising. We've touched on how Christ would, would die and offer us um, forgiveness in Christ. Um, but there is also a sobering truth here that uh, Jesus is not only appointed for the rise of, rising of many, um, but he was also appointed for a great falling, a great falling. And this should be read with verse 35 so that the hearts of, from many heart, oh, the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Um, encountering Jesus reveals your heart. Might not always seem like it, but um, when we meet Christ, we can only do one of two things. Either we are called to trust in him, to follow him as he demands that we do, or we contend with him. We push back. We disagree. And there is no biblical basis for anything in between. And the choice that we make determines 
the destiny of our eternal souls. Uh, to trust and to follow Jesus is to be washed from our sins. It is, it is there. It's possible. Um, to inherit the kingdom of God as a fellow heir with Christ. And to contend with him places us in the shoes of the wicked. The Bible makes mention frequently to the wicked and their judgment and how they will be crushed on the day of judgment. When it is declared that Jesus is appointed for the rising and fall of many, um, it also says something about him, I think, um, and that is that he does not change. Um, why is that? Well, it's, well, it was kind of like going into picture going into a maths exam and um, having it in your mind that you'll uh, redesign the times table or um, so that three times three doesn't equal six, now it equals seven. Um, and you go into the maths exam and, and you think, um, okay, I'm going to answer the question as though three times three equals seven. Um, the maths teacher is not going to pass your test. You're going to fail. And so it is with God. Um, he has a simple truth about himself that we have to believe. Um, he has clear simple rules and instructions for living and he has a clear and simple way of salvation it might also be similar to if you were going out to blue hole um, and you saw one of those big massive rocks um, and you thought well i'm just gonna kick it and hope that it lands on the other side of the creek um, maybe a bit no one really thinks that but it's a good example um, so with all of your might, you kick the rock, and what happens? Yeah, yeah, that's right. It, it doesn't move the rock. It just breaks your toe. Um, and I think many today have, a, have an idea that, um, that God is, is not like a rock. He's more like a pebble, or he's a, a crook math teacher that can that will just pass whatever test that we give him. Um, he does not change. He is one God and he has um, certain standards that need to be met. And those standards were only met in the person of Christ. And if we try and work salvation outside of that, um, then, then we will be judged. Um, we went to, I went with uh, Dave and, and Ken to the, the Baptist Association Assembly, and we were voting on, on those motions about the governance of the um, association. Um, and the devotion there started with um, an encouragement to embrace who Jesus is for you. Who Jesus is for you. Um, and in my hearing, that just meant embrace Jesus for whatever you would like him to mean. Um, and that is, that is the way that our world is going. Um, we can live with the Jesus of our own personal preference. If we think that he ought to be one way, then we can make him that way. And hopefully when we meet him, then he'll just accept that. Um, but Jesus isn't a lump of Play-Doh. He's a rock. And he doesn't bend to our rules. We bend to his. And so Isaiah, verse 8, 
uh, not verse 8, chapter 8, verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble upon it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Here what he's saying, do not follow the way of the people. What they call, um, sorry, what they, uh, what they call, um, I've lost my place again. What they call conspiracy is not conspiracy. And what they fear is not to be feared. Um, their opinions are not defined by a submission to God and a genuine desire to know Christ. Um, their opinions are based on what they, what they think, what they would like to see. Um, and then Isaiah depicts uh, the day, the judgment day, when God will become to all people either a sanctuary or a rock of offense, a stone of stumbling. Uh, and it reminded me of uh, a picture of, of C.S. Lewis um, that he paints in Narnia, the last book, uh, one of the last chapters. Um, it's where it's essentially a picture of the final judgment. And uh, there's Aslan sitting on this hill um, and all the main characters are there with him. And there are two doors either side of Aslan. There's one um, into, into hell and one into heaven. And on that day, everyone is summoned to stand before Aslan. And it's as this, this crowd just rushes down to meet him, uh, they see him. Each one looks him in the eye. And based on that, they either go left or right. And the point being, Jesus is the one thing that determines where we go. Our response to him, whether we believe in him, whether we submit to him, um, determines whether he is a rock of stumbling or a sanctuary, whether he's something that crushes or something that protects. And so Simeon, looking into the face of this baby boy, um, he, he saw many great and beautiful and encouraging things, the way that he demonstrated God's righteousness in salvation, the way that he uh, fulfilled um, all the Old Testament promises, the way that he demonstrated God's faithfulness to us. Um, but also, he saw a boy who would one day sit on the judgment seat over every man and every woman. Um, he saw a boy under whom many would be crushed. So, who is Jesus? I hope today we've had time to reflect and think about that. Um, and if, if you know the answer this morning, then praise the Lord. And you do have forgiveness and you will be with him in eternity. Um, it's, uh, it's an encouraging thing. It's not all doom and gloom. Um, 
And we can, we can be like Simeon. Lord, I have seen your salvation. Let me depart in peace. But if we don't know him, and the Bible always encourages us to analyze whether that's true, then uh, please don't forget that faith in him is essential. Submitting ourselves under him is essential because in Psalm 98, the end of what Anita read for us, verses 7 to 9, let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. So the Lord will come to judge. And the Bible has everything that we need to know as to how to be ready for that judgment. Um, but it is simply about being ready. And so... Um, just to end a few points of practical application. Um, the first, uh, not too many, nothing too heavy, just uh, something that will get us heading in the right direction. Um, the first would be to pursue a knowledge of Jesus, to be reading our Bibles frequently. Um, it's something that Lucy and I have been struggling with. The thing that um, is so central to our faith seems to be the thing that is neglected so frequently. Um, the thing that's left to last when we're most tired, when we have um, plenty to do, it, it comes last in our list of priorities. Um, and I think simply reading the Bible by ourselves as well, outside of a devotional, um, with our phones somewhere else, where we can learn to spend time with Jesus. Because the Bible is not just an intake of information, um, it's also a time where we pray to him, where we converse with him, um, where we behold his glory and praise him. Um, and I'll read also, we haven't read much of Anna. I'll read verse 36 to 38. Um, I lost my page. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow um, until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Um, so second thing is we should spend more time together as a church. Um, it strikes me how, how frequently Anna spent time at the temple. She, she I think, lived at, at the temple. They had rooms uh, over inside for people who wanted to devote their life to the temple. Um, and she would have been one of those people serving there night and day. Um, and it, it strikes me as well that, that the time that Anna spent uh, with God in, in one day or maybe a few days uh, may well trump what some people spend in church across a whole year. And that, that is something that is incredibly challenging. This was just a life marked by um, unrelenting devotion to God. She was so different. And so spending time with each other, um, this is, there's something very special about what happens 
um, when God's people meet together. Um, something that stirs up in our hearts and encourages us. Um, the second thing would be, or third thing would be to evangelize. Um, we've spoken about um, the uh, Christianity Explored, and, and that is a, an amazing initiative. Um, as the light has shined on us, the Gentiles, um, so we should shine and be lights to others. Um, is the gospel something that is, that is seasoning our conversation, even with those who don't share with us in our faith? Um, are we quick to share the gospel? Because when Anna saw Jesus, she was very quick to share the gospel. Um, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Um, we can often be afraid, and I'm often afraid, but um, if we, I think, see something of, of how real and how good our God is, then, then we can share the gospel without fear. Um, and the last thing is, is to meditate on your own life. Um, there are many things that we can keep hidden from each other. Um, there are many secret parts of, of our lives that many, many things about me that, that you all don't know, um, despite being with me for, I don't know, two years. Um, there are things that we can um, keep from each other. Um, and yet, constantly in this, in this gospel, the people who have been testifying to Christ are the people who are righteous. Um, to read chapter 1, verse 6, um, and Zechariah and Elizabeth were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 28. Um, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Uh, and we see later that the response that Mary had was, was one of faith. It's one of um, devotion. And then chapter 2, verse 25. Just got a few notes. Um, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and Simeon was righteous and devout um, and then what we've just heard about Anna she was righteous and devout and so um, it is not the Pharisees or the leaders of Israel that get to hold Jesus in their arms it's Simeon um, they don't they don't see him and, until his ministry but those who are righteous, those who, who take great care in their personal holiness, they are the ones who share in Christ. Um, and it's the same for us as well. So um, just to end on a practical note, and uh, I'll finish with a time of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are um, so many things about you that we have not covered today. Um, and I pray that you would uh, have been working by your spirit um, to open people's eyes to how great and glorious you are, um, how great is your grace, how perfect is your righteousness, um, how unending is your faithfulness, and all of that to shine a light of, of your gospel to us who are Gentiles, who are far off and in darkness. Lord, I pray um, that as we continue this service, as we go out into uh, our week, um, that you would um, please convict us of the need to be holy, 
but also, Lord, to know um, your grace, which um, is greater than all of our sin. And so, Lord, I thank you for, for this amazing gospel, for this amazing Christ, um, this boy who we have the privilege to know. In Jesus' name, amen.